Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church. Life, faith, together. Well, the Bible reading this morning is from 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verses 1 to 20. There was a certain man from Ramathiam, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophin and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, that I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk, and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went on her way and ate some, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home in Rum. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. Have you ever been in a situation where you feel completely misunderstood? A situation where, where, where just nobody seems to understand. A, a situation that seems impossible to resolve. A situation where you feel completely weak and powerless. 
Well, this was the situation that Hannah found herself in. She was barren. She was infertile. She was unable to have a child. Now, that might not sound like the end of the world if you're a bloke like me, but for a lady living in the ancient Middle East, it was. Yet even today, there are many uh, couples who, who struggle with the heartache of infertility. But in those days, it was so much worse. You see, Hannah lived in a male-centered society where her sole purpose was to produce an heir to carry on the family name. To be barren was to be a failure. To be a social embarrassment to her husband. To be barren meant she had no son to look after her in her old age. But worst of all, it was considered a punishment from God. You see, today, a barren lady would go to see a gynecologist or go to a fertility clinic. But in those days, they lacked our scientific knowledge of the reproduction system. And so they concluded that it must be a punishment from God. And so it's hard for us to truly uh, identify with, with the, the sense of failure and the, and the lack of fulfillment that haunted Hannah. But yet her story reminds us that there are still many people today who feel incomplete or inadequate for one reason or another. And there are many Christians today who feel and struggle with the heartache of barrenness in one form or another. To make matters worse for Hannah, no one understands. No one seems to understand her. Firstly, Penina, her rival, totally misunderstands her. And we read in verse 6, And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. She probably said things like, What kind of wife are you? You can't even give Elkanah one son. You're such a failure. And you know why you're barren? You're barren because God is punishing you for some sin. And Hannah, like an abused child, had probably heard this so many times that she started to believe it. However, we shouldn't be too harsh on, on Penina. It seems most likely that Elkanah loves Hannah more than he does Penina. In verse 5, we told that Elkanah gives Hannah double portions because he loved her. And in verse 8, we are t uh, uh, Elkanah says to Hannah, Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? You see, it's most likely that Elkanah only took Penina as a second wife when he realized that Hannah was barren. In a similar way that Abraham takes Hagar when he realizes that Sarah is barren. And so there's a great irony over here. And the misunderstanding is this. Penina wants the one thing that Hannah has. Elkanah's love. And Hannah wants the one thing that Penina has. A son. You see, Penina feels that she can never be fulfilled as a wife unless Elkanah loves her the most. 
And Hannah feels that she can never be fulfilled as a wife unless she can have a son. And this tension is highlighted every year when the family go goes to the temple. The temple in those days was just this big tent called the tabernacle. And every year the family would go to one of the three annual festivals. And we read in verses 4 and 5. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave double portions because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. And these double portions were a reminder to Penina that Elkanah loved Hannah more. And these double portions were a reminder to Hannah that she did not have a son. And as a result of this, uh, Penina would irritate and provoke Hannah. And as a result of that, Hannah became depressed and she wept bitterly. In fact, she became so depressed she wasn't able to eat the double portions that Elkanah had given her. And then we told in verse 7 that this went on year after year. The, the repetition of the phrase year after year in verse 3 and verse 7 emphasizes the sense of hopelessness and powerlessness that Hannah must have felt. But it's not only Penina who misunderstands her. Even Elkanah, her own husband, totally misunderstands her. Now, Elkanah's love for Hannah is undoubted. But his understanding of her grief is not. You see, Elkanah has many children, and so Hannah's childlessness doesn't matter to him, and he can't comprehend why it should matter to her. And at a time when Hannah needs nothing more than for someone to understand her grief and to empathize with her, Elkanah asks the most insensitive question like only a male can. And we read in verse 8, he says, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Now quite clearly he doesn't understand her grief because his love is not enough to compensate for one son, let alone the ten he suggests. And when Hannah now thinks nothing could get worse, she's barren, her rival doesn't understand her, her own husband doesn't understand her, then Eli, the, the high priest, totally misunderstands her. There she is in the midst of grief, pouring her heart out to God in prayer, and, and Eli accuses her of being drunk. And we read in verse 14, Eli says, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wife. And he totally misunderstands her grief and her prayer for someone who is being drunk. Someone who is drunk. Which, to his defense, is not an entirely unreasonable assumption at that late stage in the feast. So Hannah, because she is barren, she feels like a, she feels unfulfilled as a woman. She feels like a failure. She feels as though no one understands her, not even her own husband. She feels broken, weak, and powerless. She has no one to turn to except to God. 
and in the midst of grief, with tears still rolling down her cheek, she goes into that great tent, the tabernacle, the house of God, and she cries out to God in prayer. And we read in verse 11, she says, O Lord Almighty, if you would only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. To not cut your hair was a, a sign that you had devoted your life to God. But what we discover over here is that God can handle our honesty. See, rather than giving up hope, she turns to God in prayer and she pours out her heart to God in prayer. This, this isn't the kind of prayer that's often modeled by Christians. We, we like to put up a front that everything is okay. But we will all go through a time of barrenness in one form or another. And then we'll need to know that God can handle our honesty and he's waiting with arms open wide for us to turn to him in prayer. After Eli had mistaken Hannah for a drunk, Hannah responds in verse 15 and 16. She says, not so, my Lord. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli is obviously persuaded by the truth and he responds in verse 17. Go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked him. This is the turning point in the narrative. Something happens when, when Eli, the high priest, gives his priestly assurance, something happens. And we read in verse 18, Hannah said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Something had happened. Something had changed. When Eli, the high priest, gives his priestly assurance, something changes. She, she's still barren. She still doesn't have a child. But she's no longer downcast. She's no longer full of grief. She, she even eats something. Something had changed. What had changed? Let me make a suggestion. There was through her open and honest prayer and through Eli's priestly assurance that she had an encounter with the living God. She, she was still barren. She still didn't have a child. Still, nobody understood her. Penina did not understand her. Elkanah did not understand her. Even Eli did not understand her. But what we discover over here is that God understands. And friends, if you are going through a seemingly impossible situation, a, a situation where you feel completely powerless and weak, a situation where nobody seems to understand, even your closest friends and family members don't understand, what we discover over here is that God, understands. You see, it's through Hannah's open and honest prayer 
and through Eli's priestly assurance that she comes to the realization that God had not forgotten her, that God had heard her prayer, that God had understood her grief, and that God accepted her. Even though she was still barren, God accepted her. You see, no longer was her, her peace and happiness dependent upon her having a son. Her peace and happiness is now dependent upon God's acceptance. And so she's able to leave the issue with God in prayer. And then she's able to walk away, no longer downcast. And she eats something. In verse 18, we discover that Hannah is living between the time of promise and fulfillment. You see, after her prayer and after Eli's priestly assurance, Eli assures her that God had heard her prayer and that God would give her the son she had asked for. But she has not yet received this promised son. She's living between the time of promise and fulfillment. Now, it doesn't take long before God does fulfill his promise. And we read in verse 19 and 20. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then they went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. And over here, God demonstrates that he is faithful to his promises. He is able to make the seemingly impossible possible. But in verse 18, Hannah is still living between the time of promise and fulfillment. And this is where most Christians find ourselves. Now, I believe that God is able to answer prayer. He is able to intervene and heal miraculously. I've got a, a friend in South Africa by the name of Mel Williams, who's a, a few years older than me. And I can remember him telling me about a time when he was still a child, when he was still a kid. He had a terrible skin disease, which meant he wasn't able to go out into direct sunlight. He couldn't be exposed to direct sunlight. Every time he went outside, he had to be completely covered from, from head to toe. Uh, you can only imagine how hard this must have been for someone growing up as a, as a kid and a teenager in sunny South Africa. And as a result, he became really depressed and suicidal. I can remember him sharing with me how he tried to commit suicide on a number of occasions. And this went on for many, many years. Eventually, when he was a student at university, uh, one day he went to church and the elders called him up to the front. They anointed him with oil. They laid hands on him and they prayed for healing. And he was miraculously healed there and then. I mean, his skin's still slightly rough in places, slightly scarred. But other than that, he is completely healed. You see, our God is still able to intervene miraculously and heal people today. And I'm sure you know of many other stories like that. But for most Christians, we find ourselves still living between the time of promise and fulfillment. There was another guy I knew in South Africa. He was at our church. I didn't know him that well. But he went to our church and, and he had cancer. Every Sunday we would pray for him. 
We would call him up to the front. We would anoint him with oil. We'd lay hands on him and we would pray for healing. But the disease ran ran its course and he died in his late 30s. I can still remember one Sunday. He came to church when he was still very ill. And he stood up at the front and he said, I want to tell you about the big C in my life. It's not cancer. It's Christ. He hadn't been healed. But he was a he had had an encounter with God. You see, he was living between the time of, of promise and fulfillment. He hadn't been healed, but he had had an encounter with the living God. He knew God had heard his prayer. He knew that God understood his grief. He knew that God accepted him. He knew that God was grieving with him. And for some reason, which I don't understand, God did not heal him the way we would like. But today, he is with Jesus, healed. You see, God doesn't just promise to hear our prayers, but he also promises to answer them. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that God will give you the son you ask for. But God does give us his one and only son, Jesus. As one of my lecturers used to always say, God is able to intervene, but often he does not. But that has to be balanced with God did not have to intervene. But he did. In Jesus. For all of God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus. Friends, I don't know where you are today. If you're going through a period and a time of barrenness, if you're facing a seemingly impossible situation, a situation where nobody seems to understand. But if you are, can I encourage you to go to God in prayer? God can handle your honesty. God wants you to come to him in open and honest prayer. And then leave the issue with God, knowing that God will hear your prayer. God will understand. God will grieve with you. And God will comfort you. And God will answer your prayer. In his time and in his way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you welcome our honesty, that you can handle our honesty, that you invite us to pour our hearts out to you. And when you do, You hear us. You understand. Even when no one else seems to understand, even when we struggle to understand, you understand. You understand our grief. You know what we're going through. And you draw near us and you comfort us. You grieve with us and you strengthen us and you give us hope. 
Father, I want to pray for anyone who is going through a period of barrenness right now. Father, I pray that you would draw near to them, that they would know your Holy Spirit ministering to them right now. That you would give them hope and grace. That you would bring healing and strength. Father, we thank you that even though we live in between that time of promise and fulfillment, that you are a faithful God, that we can trust you, that you will bring healing. You will answer our prayer. You have proved this through Jesus. And so we give you all the glory. And Father, we pray now for that fresh grace and mercy from your Holy Spirit. Fill us afresh, we pray. Bring healing. Bring restoration. Bring strength. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. For more information, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.